0: You know, I was, I was thinking before um, how much I love you guys, and, and I was as I was thinking through it, I thought, you know, the, the the best way I know how to show you that I love you is by opening up God's word to us. And uh, what we saw last two weeks ago was we looked at Christmas past. So here's what we said about Christmas past: Christmas past is our traditional understanding of what Christmas is. Uh, Jesus came. He's God in the flesh, and he came to live and to die among us for our sins. Last week, we looked at Christmas future, and this was a cool thing if you weren't here. So, so Christmas is about the arrival of God. Uh, Advent means arrival. So the promise of Christianity is there will be a second arrival of God, a second Advent, when God comes for a second Christmas to make all things right. However, right now, we live in Christmas present Not meaning something that's under a tree, but time-wise, we live in between the first Christmas and the second Christmas. But Christmas present also means something. God is with us now. In fact, the word for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what I'm about to read to you is potentially the greatest, most popular Christmas verse there is. And it comes from Isaiah it's in verse chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Jesus picks up on this idea of God with us. Right before he leaves us, he says, Behold, I'm with you Always. To the end of the age. C.S. Lewis says that Christmas, Christmas is a miracle out of which all other miracles flow. And all the truths that I'm about to tell you right now, look at, look at me, look at me, look at me. All the truths that I'm about to tell you right now are these soul-satisfying truths that are absolutely miraculous, and none of it could be true without God coming into the world. So here's our first truth, our shepherd with us. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What this means, a shepherd chases after his lost sheep. So here's what I want you to hear, completely opposite of what most people think Christianity is. Jesus being the shepherd means that he pursues sinners, but not just that he pursues it, like he delights in doing it. He sees a sinner and he is not repulsed by the sinner, but his heart is drawn toward the sinner. He wants to run to the sinner because he's the good shepherd and instinctually he just chases after the lost sheep. And I would go so far as to say that it's exciting for God. It's exciting for Christ to chase down us sinners. He's wanting us to get to this place where we experience what it's like to run from him and then be found by him. Because you'll never really truly know his heart until you have run from him and in your running as fast as you can. Turns out he's faster than you. He leaps on you. He takes you down and he carries you back to your home. That is the heart of God. That's what it means for him to be with us. Now, I wanna tell you something that I have noticed. I used to be a worship leader, which means I stood up here and sang some songs, and here's what I noticed with, have noticed with worship leaders. They have a talent, and so their talent, people say, get up on the stage. And then they say, and lead us up to the mountain of God. And when we get up there with you together, let's sing of God and bring us to him so we might experience him in this amazing way. And that's all. No big deal, worship leader. Just take us there. And this is a huge task. And what I find often has happened is the talent is up here, but no one has actually helped a worship leader go up to the mountain with God. So they don't know how to bring others with them. And so they look around and they say, well, this is what it looks like, so I'm going to mimic what other people have done. And they get tired of this over time. It gets exhausting. They have a faith crisis, and they have to walk away from the church, and eventually at some times they walk away from the faith. Here's what I think has just happened. I think they needed to experience what it's like to run from God and then be caught and brought home. Because if you don't experience that, you've never really met the shepherd. And so if that can happen to worship leaders, that can happen to you. So my question for you is, have you made your faith your own? Have you made your faith your own? Not your parents' faith, not your spouse's faith, but your own faith. Have you done this? Have you experienced what it's like to run from God and have him chase you down? Like He's the God who chases you. He likes to chase you. Because until you see he's chased you, you don't know his heart as a shepherd. He'll go to the ends of the earth to find you. And that's what you have to find out on Christmas. Here's our second point. Our second soul-satisfying truth is he is our comforter with us. 2 Corinthians 3, 3-4 says the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction. So think about this. He's the God of comfort. And he comes into our affliction and comforts us there in the affliction. Chap- verse 5 goes on and it says, you're not going to like this. We share abundantly in his suffering and then share abundantly in his comfort. Now, our area is obsessed with chasing the feeling of comfort. And the terrifying but beautiful truth here is that in order to find comfort, You can't escape suffering. You can't escape affliction. You have to enter into it. Are you hearing this? In there, in the discomfort, in the suffering, in the affliction, that is where you meet him. Because we have the kind of God who meets us there in the suffering. He's not outside of it watching you try to escape it. He's there in it. And so if you want to meet with him and if you want to know true comfort, you enter into it. And when you enter into that suffering, you meet him there. And guess what happens to you? He comforts you there. And then when you get out of the suffering, you're completely changed and different. That is the result. Suffering transforms you, but not because of the suffering, but because of who you meet in it. Third, soul-satisfying truth. Exodus, this is our defender with us. Exodus 15.3 says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Psalm 121 says that the Lord is on our right side. In a battle... The one who is on your right side holds a shield in their left. So they're your defender in a battle. If a sword is coming at you, they're blocking it for you. They're on your right side. So what this means is that Jesus is our defender. Only Jesus has no shield. He is the shield. And this is what the cross is all about. That For all of the sin, all of the, the stuff in us that's prone to wander from God, to rebel from God, there's this judgment that's meant for us. And as the arrows are flying of judgment, Christ goes to the cross and we stand beside it, behind its shadow and he is struck so we don't have to be. Now this is part of Christmas. He's our defender and you know what that does to you? It makes you stand up in your, in, while you're in fear and it makes you know you've got someone on your right side defending you and so you step into your fear and you come out on the other side with joy. And as you get out on the other side, you look back and you've got some bruise, but you look back at Christ and he's covered with arrows. He's got a spear in his side and he's got nails in his hands. And if you know that that God is with you, you'll face your fear. You might be terrified, but you'll step into it because you know he's there with you. So our shepherd, our comforter, our defender, and now our father with us. Isaiah teaches that the one who comes will be our father. Now, Jesus is called the son of God, but here's what it means. To see the son is to see the father. This is what Jesus says. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. If you see the father, you see the son. You can't see the two apart from each other. They're united as one. One God, three persons. Absent fathers could be one of the greatest epidemics in the history of the world. You wanna create a good villain? Give him a bad father. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure I'm ruining my children. It's, it's like the harder I try to be a good father to them, the more I realize I am incapable of being the father that they need. And so I've got, what I've got is this image in my mind of I'm climbing up this mountain with my kids. And we're about to go meet at the tippy top. We're going to meet with God. But right before we do, I say to them, all right, it's time for you to go meet your true father. And they say, dad, Dad, what are you talking about? I say, look, I'm always going to be your dad. But there's a greater father that you need to meet. Go and meet him. And they go up and they meet him. And you know what? They come back down changed, but they come back down my children. Only something's different. Now they don't need to get from me what only the heavenly father can give them. So they're satisfied. They're at peace. And the pressure's off of me now, finally. And there is a sense that I have to die as their father and they have to die as my children in order for them to go and meet with God and discover him. But then he comes back, they come back down changed, alive, not dependent on me to give them life because they've got life from their father in heaven. This is the story of Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac. Like we look at this story and if you can get past the disturbing part of it, what you find in the end is that it's like he's been resurrected. But not just that, he... Abraham receives his son back. It's like you take everything you love and you die to it and give it to God and he gives it back to you more alive. This is the story of Christianity. It's like, take up your cross and follow me. This is what we're doing here. Fifth point. Fifth soul-satisfying truth, our friend with us. Jesus says, no greater love is there than this, Then someone lay down his life for his friends and you are my friends. We all want, we all want a friend who can cheer us on in our success. I think often what we find with our friends is that they're a little bit jealous when life is going well for us and we're succeeding in something. We all want friends who will fight for us. We all want A friend who will count our life more important than theirs. And you will only find that at least to its heights in Christ. And if you'll find that in Christ, what it's going to do to your friendships is you're going to stop looking around at your friends and needing to get from them what only Christ can give them, can get you. Like, you've just been freed to not have these high expectations of your friends. And what's going to happen is, well, now because you've been satisfied in Christ, and they have been satisfied in Christ, you're not so needy towards your friends. And then you're satisfied in him, and now you're beginning to arrive at what a heavenly friendship looks like here on the earth. Six, soul-satisfying truth for Christmas. Our groom with us. In Revelation we are told that we are the bride of Christ. He is the groom and we are the bride. And this is the church together, united as one, married to the king. So what that means is your earthly marriage is pointing to a heavenly one. Your earthly marriage is pointing even to something greater that is to come. The marriage between Christ and the church, and this makes you the queen of God. The queen of God. You're the queen of the king of the cosmos. And the the understanding of us being married to Christ, marriage is about a covenantal love. Um, My my wife taught me this. So we used to do this thing where, where we would say, like, why do you love me? And I would have all these beautiful poetic things to say. And she would just say, I love you because I love you. And I was, I win. And then I was preparing for a sermon on marriage and I was looking at this idea of covenantal love and what I realized is covenantal love is I love you because I love you. Now, no matter what you do or don't do, my love is constant. No no matter how much you disappoint me, my love is constant. No matter how much great things you do, it doesn't change the way I love you. It is secure. It's never ending. It's relentless love that doesn't stop chasing love. It's like we're the chosen one of God. And whenever you're doubting your self worth, you go to the king of the cosmos and he says to you, like his bride, You are mine and I am yours. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what you did, I don't care what you're going to do. My love is not going to stop. It is pursuing you all the way to the ends of the earth. Run and I'm following. I am here all the way. He's our groom. And, and what's so wild about it is when he says it to us, it's like we're the only one in the room that he's saying it to because that's the kind of groom that he is. Seventh, soul-satisfying truth, our peace with us. Micah 5.5, another popular Christmas verse talks about the one who is to come will be our peace. He himself is our peace. Did you say apple? Don't eat the apple. Don't eat the apple, bro. (laughs) You guys know the the reference in the garden, right? You got that? Okay, good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Run from the apple. And you know, so he's our peace even after we eat the apple. Like actually, thank you very much. This proves everything I'm saying. So the, the apple brought about a division between us and God. The apple brought the apple showed that we were enemies with God. I mean, this is the story. God and man are we're enemies now. And what Jesus has come to do is come to restore that relationship, to bring peace between God and man. That's the first way peace comes by this child. Second way peace comes is there's now peace from man to man. War ceases. War from one person to the next. Done. Now that hasn't happened yet. But wherever the gospel is preached and believed, what you find is a pocket where the kingdom of God is beginning to bubble up. And as it's bubbling up, you have peace between people. You have harmony. Um, It's a beautiful thing. The third way that peace comes is from this ancient Hebrew word, shalom. Shalom means flourishing in absolutely every single way. Spiritual flourishing, emotional flourishing, social flourishing, cultural flourishing, and even physical flourishing. Now that has yet to happen. But the promise is that it is to come. However... Wherever the gospel is preached. Like, how crazy is this? Like, everyone's just gathered on Sunday morning. Like, why are you here? Because you just hope that maybe this is true. And you want me to be here to stir up that hope so the, the hope stirs up into faith. And then you can rest in this truth knowing that one day everything is going to be okay. Everything sad will come untrue and everything will be well. It's to come. And when you gather here and you hear the gospel being preached, something stirs in you to remind you of all these things, and then flourishing begins to happen. Spiritually flourishing. All of your uh, emotional problems begin to be, they're dimmed. Social flourishing, cultural flourishing. It's beginning now because he's come to be with us. And the last soul-satisfying truth is our glory with us. I had a hard time coming up what the name of this last one was going to be. It was going to be our goal with us, which sounds super bad, but I didn't know what else to do. And what, what that means is Christ is our aim. He's our finish line. He's our telos. And when we reach him, we know we're satisfied. Like St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so what we're really searching for is his glory. There's this glory cloud, the gl- like imagine this cloud of glory and when we're surrounded by it, we all of a sudden are just satisfied. It's the thing we've been chasing for all of our life. Like there's this misconception about Christianity that we should turn our joy down. Like we're trying to have less fun, but actually we're, actually what, what the message of Christianity is, turn your desire for joy all the way up and you'll run right past everything this world has to offer you into this glory cloud, where you're surrounded by Christ. And so, so Colossians one twenty seven, do you know what it says? I'm gonna tell you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're not just surrounded by the glory; the glory has entered in. It's in you. And then, do you know what happens when you believe? The Holy Spirit reaches his hands out for the Father and the Son. And once he holds hands with the Father and Son, a divine Trinitarian dance begins. This is what eternity is in a lot of ways. And notice what's happening. So the Holy Spirit is in you reaching out to the Father and Son, which means you have now been swept up into this divine Trinitarian dance. So it's not just that you get to be surrounded by the glory of God, which makes you completely satisfied. It's not just that the glory of God is in you, which makes you completely satisfied. It's that you are part of the glory. Like this is wild. This is this idea that God became human to make humanity divine. And that's exactly what's happening. We're getting swept up into the glory of God. We're in the dance and everything inside of you right now wants to be in that dance, whether you know it or not. The longing in you, your dissatisfaction with the way that your life is going, your dissatisfaction with the way that the world is, you just wanna be in the dance. And so Christmas time is a time of stepping into the dance. And if you've been a Christian for a while and you find yourself lacking joy, it's because you walked away from the dance. And it's just time to enter back in. And you're at the mercy of the Holy Spirit for this to happen. And so you say, Please, bring me back in. I miss you, God. And then He pulls you in. And all of this is possible because a child came to die. All of this is possible because He left the dance to come and get you and bring you back into it. He left the comfort of the dance to come and give you a warm embrace. He left the dance to come and be your defender and your shield so you could stand behind him as death in hell, as he wears your sins in death and hell that was meant for you is just thrown upon him and we're hiding behind the shadow of the cross. And when it's all over, we step out in the heaven, the, the skies open up and we see the love of God just pouring down upon us. He left his father in heaven so that he could give us a father. And he, he is our friend who counted our life more important than his own. And he's our groom who would not return to the dance until his hand and ours were united together. And the price that he paid was his life and he gave it so that we could get the bridal gift of joy and peace and glory forevermore. He's the one who's come down. The glory of God has come down and this little infant vulnerable child come to die and arise. And one day for a second Christmas make all things right. That's what Christmas is about. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Emmanuel, God with us. He's here. Don't miss him. Always here. Always. That's right. Say it again. That's what he's saying, right? Always. You guys can say it too. There you go. All right. I really do love you guys. And I want you to know this. I want you to experience it. He's come for you. Let's pray. Father, don't let one of us in this room get away from you right now. Be our shepherd. Send your son to tackle us to the dirt, to be with us in our pain, to enter into our affliction with us, to be our friend, our father. When our earthly fathers have let us down, we run to you as our true heavenly father. When our earthly friends have let us down, we run to you, Lord Jesus, as our true friend. When everything we're going to for peace doesn't deliver, we go to you for peace. And when we want joy, We push away everything that's glorious in this world to come and find a greater glory in you. God, don't let one of us out of your grasp. Don't let us out these doors without knowing that this is true. And God, as we sing, I pray that we would sing as people who are free, redeemed, filled with joy because we're filled with the hope that Christmas is true. And there's another one to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at the Grove Church Official and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.